Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor and chief critic, joined as always by our editor-at-large, Ann Thompson. And uh, we're still in festival mode. Last week we were face-to-face in Tribeca, now you're back in Los Angeles. I'm in Oregon for another film festival, but before we get into all that, we should recap Tribeca because you were in jury mode before watching a whole bunch of documentaries with all kinds of people and couldn't say anything, but now... Word on the street is that the awards happened and stuff is behind you and you can actually, I hope, tell us a little bit about the movie that you guys chose to uh, give the top prize. We gave uh, the top prize, and this was what was sort of a, a big debate at the at the jury uh, meeting, which was really fun. And, and you were there, the it was, uh, what was it, Barbara Koppel, uh, R.J. Cutler, you R. J. had a really Cutler. interesting jury. You know the the uh, these these are the, some of the you know some really great uh, doc rock stars. Uh, Alma Harrell, who's a really oh, rising rising star, and uh, and uh, our uh, and David Wilson, who um, founded uh, and runs the uh, True False Film Festival out of uh, Columbia, Missouri, um, who's a super uh, intelligent. They're all they're all brilliant you know so nice it was range fun. too really. nice range of different yeah. kinds of filmmakers and it's always fun when you're debating these movies to you know you think you you saw one thing and then they bring up a whole other perspective especially people who are really good at making documentaries and and i i i was fascinated by the way we approached it and what ended up happening um while we liked a lot of the films and were really happy to have experienced and learned you know about their subjects and 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 we debated all sorts of things we ended up loving one movie more than any of the others by a mile and that was this uh, extraordinary portrait of uh a modern dancer called Bobby Jean, and it comes from a cinematographer director from Denmark named Elvira Lind. And um, it, it, uh, she got really close to her subject, who was an American dancer who had been a star uh, dancer uh, in Israel at this very uh, avant-garde, brilliant uh, dance company there. And, and she was moving on to becoming her own choreographer at, at age 30 and uh, taking all sorts of chances and risks. And she had a younger boyfriend, a, a fellow dancer in Israel. And so this movie charted her course over a period of time with a great deal of intimacy and, but never a sense that she was performing in front of the camera. And she was so naked in every way, in her performance, in the shower, having sex with her boyfriend. I mean, in a way that was wow. perfectly natural and fabulous and nothing weird. But it was so close and so authentic and so real that when I got to the end of the movie and everyone else on the jury had the exact same experience, we didn't realize how emotional we were. 
it, it was a flood. I was weeping at the end of this movie. And uh, so we, what, what ended up happening is we gave it all three awards. We gave it a editing, sweep, which was a sweep. It was a guy, you know, an editor. Of course, I'm not remembering his name right now. I apologize. And it was um, she was the cinematographer and she was the director. And they, we gave all three. And then we gave a special message um, mention to a really good movie, which was really the only contender against the other one. And that was uh, True Conviction. So, th so what's that um, about? That's a really good uh, portrait of because they picked three great characters. These three guys who had all been uh, taken off uh, long, long prison sentences because of DNA evidence coming up. They were innocently convicted. They were innocent men who were convicted and put in years of prison time and chose to serve, joining each other, trying to get other people off. So that's um, that's and, really interesting. And so they're like. So a, it's a great story. It's, I totally recommend this movie. It's fascinating because it's those are such different kinds. I mean, you're talking about one very intimate portrait, warts and all, and then the other is much more. It sounds like more of kind of an issue-driven sort of institutional piece. I mean, two very different kinds of documentary experiences, and uh, you know, it's it's interesting because people tend to talk about Tribeca as being you know the real strength is docs. So it is. It's, it's hard to get a handle on, you know, what, what is a Tribeca these doc? Are the competition, the competition, well, it's hard to get a handle on what is a, a doc these days. Um, what is I a mean, good it doc? It was so much fun to have these conversations about how did the filmmakers find their narratives and, you know, what was the story they were trying to tell and what You guys deliberated for a long time, right? It was sort of a 12, 18, type of, hours. it's wild. But mostly what happens is that you want to give... Um, if you have 12 movies, you want to give each of them their their due. You don't want to just ride over them. And you also want to figure out the, you know, it was a long debate over over the, uh, whether, you know, which awards to give uh, to what film. You know, right. That's the issue. Well, it How seems like by, give by giving these three prizes to a movie that, like, I, I didn't even hear about it, and I was, I was paying attention to a lot of movies at the festival. A lot of people don't know about it, and it's going to Hot Dogs Next you are effectively putting this movie on the map in a way that is incredibly significant to however it's received going forward. So. And it gets, it gets some cash. She, she gets some cash prizes and, and the, um, and, and the other, uh, oh, I hope everybody sees both of these films. Um, but there were, you know, there were other worthy films in there too. It was just a question of. Uh, I was so happy to to see uh, the the one about. Uh, there's a movie that that's called uh, Shadow Man about the artist um, Richard Hamilton, which was fascinating, just fascinating. And and he was an artist I really wasn't familiar with. And there's a whole dramatic story uh, behind him. Uh, he came he came up during the the period of Basquiat, and so it was also about the impact of drugs on that particular he survived but he didn't survive intact <laughs> if, if you know what i mean i do i know you can't talk about interesting movie one well, and, and you can't talk about the specifics of the deliberation but i do want to get your take on one movie that i saw and thought was quite strong that didn't get any awards and that's david francis's film uh the death and life of marcia p johnson this trans activist sort of a a stonewall 
hero, hero, hero heroine of sorts who well, died speak personally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I can speak personally about that movie, which uh, I don't want to, you know, give anything away about what other people thought. Um, that was a case uh, for me of a movie where I thought that the filmmaker assumed that we knew all sorts of things that maybe we didn't know and, and told a, several different stories at once and covered in a, a, in a, a lot of ground and I thought it had amazing archival footage. So much. I mean, it's I, amazing. I wanted, the I wanted, footage is um, incredible, right? He did how to sur- he did how to survive the plague in much the same way, right? Where he's constructing this narrative of you know eighties, nineties gay culture in New York, almost exclusively through the which video. Which was a great movie, yeah. and I really was touched and and totally glad to have seen that film and learned what I learned from that film and it was a story that I knew and only in parts so it was it was stunning and it had a great emotional impact I don't think this movie um, was as effective as the other one and part of it was that that approach maybe didn't work as well to tell one story the, what happened here is that there are two heroes of of the revolution if you like uh, but he doesn't really establish what their bona fides were back in the day at stonewall i wanted more of that information well the, the and maybe that the video didn't exist the focus you know, of the movie though is I, I think in some ways what you're talking about is you had a different impression of a movie in your head and, and this movie is actually focused on something else because there's this contemporary essentially a detective story involving this trans that's activist today part of it. right that's, when and, and so she story. is going around and it doesn't the book i hate to give it away but there's a, a you're saying there's no payoff doesn't it doesn't pay but but with the but that contemporary Which is unfortunate. story that's well, just luck but i think there's know? there's a it's a very clever it's not perfect in in the way that it does it but there's a very clever linking device by using her investigation into marsha p johnson's death which was ruled a suicide uh as a sort of modern way of saying what happened to Marsha P. Johnson and what happened to trans people in terms of the violence and and un- and the lack of justice that that comes out of these events, uh, it's it's still there. And she goes to City Hall. She sees all these people who are still not really being prosecuted for their crimes. And this notion that. You know, after the legalization of gay marriage, the gay community kind of became complacent about the needs of the trans community, I think resonates very strongly by using the Marsha P. Johnson case as sort of a historical foundation. And so that's why I thought it was very effective, because the the fact of the matter is there can't be a payoff to that story because justice was not served. And that's what's emotionally compelling about that. And, And to me, it's like I didn't know anything about Marsha P. Johnson really at all. And so it's no. I was happy to meet her. Yeah, and happy to meet Sylvia, who was a, a very dramatic figure, but also perhaps took over the story a little bit. Um, that's the thing. There's just so many different story strands that were that were trying to come together in in something that was united and and effective. And I think that they didn't quite get there. From a commercial standpoint, I would argue that there is an audience for this movie that, that will want I'm to sure see it. I'm sure there is. And I, and I, and and I hope it gets it. But I, as I spoke to people there at Tribeca, I mean, we, we had a really lovely event on the rooftop at uh, Spring Studios. And, Which I uh, enjoyed. Yeah, great industry turnout. A lot of people hadn't heard about it yet. And I wonder what, the, you know, it's, it's a challenge because a lot of these documentaries, they're not automatically going to stand out unless there's, you know, a lot of people are talking about them. And, and this one just didn't seem to, to kind of pop the way you think it would. But, you know, maybe that'll change in the 
in the weeks to come. And the deals don't always happen at the festival itself. It's not a really active marketplace, even though the industry is there. People are sort of sussing things out and waiting around. There's not a lot of bidding wars. There is a and... sense in, in New York. I mean, I, th I thought uh, Tribeca is an interesting example of an urban... It happens in in L.A. too with with the L.A. Film Festival. You know, th there's this sort of sense of of this huge sprawling urban festival that is reaching audiences. It is a lot of the screenings were packed. Um, there was a screening of of the Reagan movie that that you you know had people lined up outside right. on, yeah. on the street. And which, I like that way, quite a little, lot. You I like it? Yes. Let's argue about that again. Let's argue about again, that. no. This is a case where uh, again, it's this strategy of uh, taking the sort of Senna approach uh, to archive footage and showing us a different way of looking at the Reagan yes, presidency. It tells the Reagan presidency exclusively through archival footage that most people haven't seen before. It compartmentalizes. I don't agree it. necessarily with that. It felt like a lot of it was seen. Um, I wondered if there were more dramatic outtakes, but it took this very obvious editing approach, which was to say, "Oh yeah, he was an actor," and I think we already knew that. Well, we already knew that Reagan was very much a presentational, promotional, uh, sell the, the story president. But, and but I don't the, think I learned anything well, new from that. Maybe I lived through it. It could be. A, there did. could be a generational thing there. I the, saw. It, as it was, the, it could be a generational thing, and, and, and the, even the, the filmmakers are, are younger, so for them, there, there could have been this process of discovery. But I also think, you know, the performative element of all politicians is something that we take for granted, and this movie kind of breaks it down in piecemeal in a way that I found kind of fascinating. It's like every every step of the way, you're being reminded that there's a process of calculation, you know, that Reagan himself is describing the uh, negotiations with Russia as his third act, you know, because that's right. his old business. And so I, I feel like you're more cognizant of it's how the, the cameras are. Presidency. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, is a, he is someone who leads up to Trump in, in, a rather, exactly. in a rather direct way. And as we head into, you know, the first hundred days of the presidency, I feel like it, it, it to me, it really clarified specifically how the cameras tell this story and how we need the we basically the media needs those that footage in order to construct its narrative and so you know a, a, a savvy president is basically just you know serving up a three act structure in piecemeal and and I, I don't know I just I, it's it's like seventy odd minutes long Gravitas Ventures is going to put it out it's perfect for a kind of small VOD thing. Because there's a certain audience that I think will be able to watch this and get something out of it. It's just not something that's going to, you know, reveal some new kind of way of talking about Reagan. It's not, and it's not, you know, I am not your Negro or something with this kind of sprawling historical element either. It's a very contained concept. Penny Lane made a documentary a few years ago called R. Nixon. That was a very similar kind of thing on Nixon, where it's, you just, the archive tells you something about this person when you're just with it the whole way through that I, that I personally found very engaging, even if it wasn't groundbreaking. But, um, you know, again, uh, we have different kinds of things that I think we're looking for when it comes to these sort of movies. So I'm not sure that's the problem. I think this may be generational, and it may be that I simply have, had already been informed by a lot of the stuff I saw and understood while the presidency was unfolding in front of my eyes. And this, therefore, didn't have much to teach me in the way of any new perspectives. It wasn't dramatic. It didn't move me. It didn't tell me th something that I didn't know. I guess that, that that's the other thing is maybe I have a more academic perspective on these things because... 
you know, I know a lot about the Reagan presidency. I didn't live through it in quite the same way, but I've lived through, you know, Bush presidencies and things of that nature and, you know, what we're, what we're dealing with now. And I think what, what I like about it is just that it's informed by the present moment to a certain degree. I mean, it's going to be hard for somebody to make the definitive Trump doc because it's all such a blatant performance. You know that that Comedy Central program, the President I Show. I think we'll see. It's some. an interesting challenge. <laughs> I think it's we're a... going to have a surfeit of oh, material. Oh God! On I'm Donald bracing Trump for that. Bracing for He's that. only a hundred days in. Frankly, so um, yeah. So so it was really fun, and uh, I I loved my jewelry, and and uh, it it will. Uh, you can you can argue that we were maybe too tough on some of these movies, but that's that's what we did. So so that's behind you now, and, and we're coasting into the rest of the year, but I'm uh, already in another festival. Yeah, give, us, I'm, give us your uh, Stephen King. Yeah, I, you had a scoop last night. I loved uh, it. So, so I'm out in Oregon at the Timberline Lodge in Mount Hood uh, for the Overlook Film Festival. It's technically the first year, although it's kind of a rebooted version of something called the Stanley Film Festival that used to take place in Estes Park, Colorado. So this hotel is... Uh, where they shot the exteriors for Kubrick's The Shining. And the, what's so great about that idea is that it's informed by the, this kind of general sense of creepiness everywhere, and, and there's a limited amount of space, so everybody's kind of staying together in summer camp mode. But it allows them to uh, really showcase horror lovers and, re- and strong horror cinema in a way that uh, doesn't uh, have any distractions. So... What, what was cool about the way it started last night was that it really felt like it was kind of a statement on where horror movies are of the moment, that it opened with a Blumhouse movie, and that was uh, uh, this film Stephanie, which is directed by Akiva Goldman, uh, an interesting situation given who he is and how long he's been around and, and is known primarily as a screenwriter and you know an Oscar-winning screenwriter for A Beautiful Mind. This is a very different kind of movie. It's more of this sort of supernatural futuristic thriller about a creepy young girl who's at, is played by this actress who was one of the kids in Captain Fantastic. Very good performance. She's mostly on her own the whole movie. Um, and then at, in the Q&A afterwards, Goldsman and Jason Blum, the producer, announced that they would be reteaming to uh, direct a uh, another movie about a creepy kid in the... In the, in the, the build-up was, was pretty hilarious because Jason Blum... Gate was given a, a visionary award, which was actually an axe, um, to to acknowledge his 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 uh, impact on Perfect. horror cinema. And you know, look, he's had an amazing year. That company got behind. He's the horror meister, low budget horror meister du jour. He's he's our new uh, Roger Corman. <laughs> yeah, who is also getting an Would award at the festival. Him? Well, I mean, it's it's the natural comparison, and Corman himself says that he thinks Blum is, is doing great stuff. But what I think is interesting about Jason Blum is that he's also kind of a showman. He, is, he has an eye for showmanship. The whole conceit of Split, I feel like that that was very much had his, his fingerprints on it. What happened with Get oh, Out, yeah. the way that Get Out sort of shocked everybody, it's, it just it, it took off. I feel like there, there there's certain certain ways in which Jason Blum can kind of catch people off guard. And taking Akiva Goldsman, who it turns out he's been working with for a number of years as, because, because Goldsman consulted on the Paranormal Activity sequels, and, and getting him to start directing horror movies and on this low-budget scale, it's it sounds like an unreasonable proposition. Why would this 
guy do this? And yet the There's movie's a lot really of solid. Reasons why a Hollywood screenwriter who's been very much part of the studio factory would be dissatisfied right. with so, the kind of controls and budgets and everything else that are limiting his imagination. Right. So and Blum gives him the kind uh, of high end. Um, Hollywood development right. uh, goes down and people like Akiva Goldsman are in effect too expensive and thrown out of work it's smart of Bloom to take advantage right. of well, his, uh, being available for something but, new but but it's not just that it's it's also it's it's just like the idea of this laboratory where somebody can go play around a little bit and not necessarily lose anything as a result because they're spending so little and if the result isn't Precisely. great if the result isn't great they don't have to then invest in doing something really big with it. it. And they're, totally they're not trapped. So, so this is the right. news that they broke. Is they, they sort of built up to this in the Q and A after Blum got this award and holding this axe. Uh, he announces that they're going to do an adaptation of Stephen King's Firestarter with Goldsman uh, directing, and that's really interesting because. Uh, that you know, obviously, that movie was was has already been made with Drew Barrymore in, in the early '80s. But the idea of Blum doing it with Goldsman, who has a relationship with King, so they they basically are able to take this franchise and figure out a way to reboot it without again making it this big studio brouhaha and and maybe even making it interesting again. I mean, they they are also Blumhouse is doing Halloween in much the same way with David Gordon Green and Danny McBride are, are writing a version of that right now. So I think there's something really innovative and well, fascinating about that. Part of what that. we could connect to this is the idea that Blum ha that Jason Blum is, is representing a new way of approaching uh, making movies in an era where the overwrought big studio conglomerates are in trouble and struggling and having management shifts and not sure, you know, we still don't know who's going to end up running Sony, you know, and now we have, um, I did a story this week about A24, uh, which had two films at Tribeca, one of which is The Lovers with Deborah Winger and Tracy Letts, which you and I both like a lot. And then uh, the other is uh, The Exception, which is this Nazi World War II movie um, that's going straight to direct TV, uh, along with Free Fire, that one that Brie Larson was in. So they have two ways of showing movies. They either go to theaters or they go to direct TV first in a premium situation uh, ahead of theaters. And, and they, they are just, you know, they, of course, won the Oscar with, with, with three Oscars, including Best Picture Dramatically with Moonlight. And, and it just looks like, you know, we have Sony Pictures Classics and Weinstein Co. and, and uh, all these uh, established companies, Focus Features, uh, Searchlight. And yet uh, it's A24 that seems to have the cred and the heat and the momentum. And yeah. the question is whether they've reinvented uh, the indie distribution model. Yeah, I, I think all of these people need to just get into the ring and beat the crap out of each other and, and you know see who's the last one standing. I mean, they do that at Fantastic Fest. They'd love to see A24 and Blumhouse actually punch each other and, and see who winds up being the strongest one. I it's don't look at that. I don't look at it that way at all. I'm no, but it is, there is competitiveness here. And Blumhouse here. is being in the same 
bucket in the same universe in the same younger more innovative sure. more no, they uh, are, yeah. experimental it, I, it, universe it, and true. i see the older generation playing by the same rule book that they've well, been yeah. playing by for a long time now they will argue they will all argue that they are innovating and they are changing and they are trying but the studio ones are limited by the rules they have to play with inside the the studios and and even harvey is still constrained i think by just an, a, a a way you know believing that he can do things the way he did them before well look okay, harvey wants you know figure out a way to survive one way or another so that's, that's so a whole far different he has but there are those who wonder how much longer it will last i have to say so next week i'll let you know if i survive this horror ordeal and uh we'll find some other stuff to talk about since can's right around the corner and I suppose we'll have some movies to dig through in that respect, but I'll let you go Looking to your uh, and next I want screening. to, yeah, you, I'm going to go see Risk, and you just saw it and uh, reviewed it already, and I'm uh, I'm going to go uh, this weekend see uh, James Ponsult's The Circle. So I actually look forward to arguing about those two movies right. with you next week. Talk about a horror movie. <laughs> Good luck with that one. <laughs> so I hear. Okay, <laughs> bye bye. Take care. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.